I have a very special guest for you today. He's the Global Vice President for Sales Excellence, Intelligence Spend and Business Networks. And here's what some of his colleagues say about him. James is the most wonderful mentor you could ever ask for, especially if you're seeking mentorship in the area of brand storytelling. Here's another one. James is a remarkable man, both incredibly bright and phenomenally productive. He is an inspiration to many. He has the vision and drive and motivates people around him to high levels of performance. Here's another one. James is a consummate sales professional with an infectious enthusiasm. James is hands down one of the most professional leaders I've ever interacted with in my working history and by far one of the sharpest, knowledgeable in individuals I've ever had the pleasure to work with. James Marlon, you're very welcome to the podcast. Wow, that's quite an introduction, Paul. It's good to be joined leadership podcast. It's a little difficult to react to some of these things that people write about me. But I think uh, you, know, you mentioned a couple of things. So I use the term storyteller, although I have to say that term is quite broadly used these days. In fact, everybody in marketing seems to be rebranding themselves as storyteller. Um, but let's explore a little bit more about that during the podcast, what it actually means to be a storyteller and why that's important uh, in sales leadership. Love to do that, James. Uh, before we do that, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and, and what that was like. Yes, well, uh, I'm native Englishman um, and uh, came from, come from Manchester, in fact. Um, and I, I started in technology straight out of university, as many, many did. Um, and I had an opportunity to go to California uh, in the uh, uh, early 90s uh, for a six-month secondment. Uh, ended up being 12 years. Um, I came back with a wife and two kids. Um, uh, in that time, I, I started at uh, SAP. As you can see, I'm currently wearing my SAP lanyard. And this was when SAP first started. I think we all know SAP on the podcast. Uh, this was the really days when it was really taking the U.S. by storm, um, and uh, it sort of surfaced like a German U-boat and suddenly took the, the enterprise software market by storm. Um, and then after that, I had a run with uh, dot-com, because uh, I was based in Silicon Valley. Uh, so I joined in the first dot-com, the 1.0s, uh, in 1998, a company called Ariba. Um, had an IPO, I went through that, and subsequently got bought back by SAP. Um, so now back where I started, and the great thing about SAP, you know, love, efficient German company, they keep all your personnel files. So uh, I returned back with the same uh, um, uh, employee number, uh, the same information about myself. So it's uh, sort of a nice uh, closed circle, if you like. And uh, during that time, I was mainly in pre-sales, uh, which is a, a great profession and it's a great uh, place to be. You get to, uh, to talk to customers early in their buying cycle. Um, and so that's where I, I became this idea of, well, how can we better communicate um, and that's why I started to, to study storytelling, um, and which I do a lot of that now. I do a lot of uh, training about, about storytelling and whiteboarding and, and what I call the, the art of explaining. I'm intrigued, James, by the link between pre-sales and storytelling. Perhaps you could help our listeners out with, with the connection between the two. Yeah, so in, in software pre-sales, you are typically presenting a vision to a potential customer of where they could be. Um, so you're already almost in the area of, of fantasy because you're not there yet. And the proof points that you typically use to do that is to talk about other customers who've been on a similar journey. So you're really saying uh, the destination that you want to get to, Mr. Prospect, uh, has already been traveled by these other companies. And they're quite like you, had similar challenges, had similar fears, overcame similar problems, and my software or service helped them do that. And I think, Mr. Prospect, it could do that for you. Uh, so this is a very simple but powerful way of translating uh, you know, what a previous customer has done with the software or service and how this potential customer could experience the same way. So it's a bit like a, uh, the way that we tell a story uh, to, uh, to our children uh, to, to remind them to do something or, or to tell them of a, of a family story, something like that. Yeah, I, I spent some time in pre-sales and it's the one thing I regret, which is at that time not having any concept of storytelling, I was doing the typical pre-sales thing of here's how the product works. And I'm curious to know, was there a point in your career that you became a storyteller or were you always a storyteller? Was it something that naturally came to you? I think all pre-sales people to some extent have this in them uh, because take something like a demonstration. A demonstration typically does follow some kind of story, even if it's a, you know, imagine you're a salesperson, you have to create a lead, let me show you how you do that, and now the lead converts to a sale, let me show you how that looks, and, and so on. So you are telling a story in that respect. There's a narrative, there's typically a character, there's typically an outcome. So even the, the basic demo has storytelling characteristics to it. 
Um, but in order to really get to the next level, it's important to uh, introduce the concept of other customers, other travelers on the same journey. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of times I think in pre-sales, we, we're not as good as that as we could be. Uh, we get very much head down, got to get through this. You know, in my experience and you know, a lot of other companies, pre-sales are on the cutting edge of the technology. So having survived the demo without actually catching fire is a good outcome sometimes. Um, and we forget that we're really communicators and trying to present a vision to a potential customer. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I want to. I'm really keen to talk to you about the workshop you do, the art of explanation. Before I do that, though, I'd like to just explore a little bit further around you, your kind of what you bring to that, and maybe you could share with us a little bit around the kind of things that motivate you and give you a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, like a lot of people uh, who are in the sort of uh, training or enablement, it's when it's when people are uh, adopting your. Uh, what you've taught them in an, in an environment on their own and then bringing their own success. So it's very satisfying uh, when I hear someone say, oh, I tried out something that, that you taught me, uh, and here was the outcome. Um, and that itself, I incorporate that as a story next time I tell it. Um, so um, you know, I, I, I told a story and I learned of a, of a customer, of, a, of one of our employees who told it in a customer meeting, and the customer responded well. So, so that's, that's where I get, get my satisfaction from. There's also, it, there's a bit of, um, trying to understand the art of storytelling or the science of storytelling. So there's quite a lot of, of research, there's a lot of books about this, and it's a very crowded marketplace. As I said, everyone's rebranding, if you like, as a storyteller. And so, you know, what's the, what's the science? How does the brain work? How do we remember things? Uh, how does literature work? And so on. There's, there's quite a lot around that as well. So I try to bring uh, some of that to the, to the training. A lot of corporate training tends to use a lot of um, uh, Stories that are too close, and so you know you, you tell stories in, in sales about other salespeople, and it's like, yeah, okay, it's actually let's let's let's, let's talk about Proust, okay, so let's let's talk about uh, the history of the city of London. Um, people, you have this time where people's curiosity is peaked in the corporate environment because well, this is different. Oh, I didn't expect to learn about this today. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. So, you, so this idea of introducing um, uh, things from science or philosophy or religion or music or sport. Uh, people tend to respond well to that because a lot of corporate life is pretty boring, quite frankly. A lot of sales meetings are pretty boring. And now, oh, here's a guy talking about, about classical music. I'll listen to that for a bit. So there is that idea that you can bring something different into a conversation. But having said that, though, Paul, I always, my, my rule is you have 90 seconds before someone says, this is kind of weird. Where's he going with this? So, so if you're going to introduce something like that, people will give you the time but maybe not as long as you'd like or as long as you need. So your, your skill as a storyteller is how can you uh, expand that window through, through uh, different medium. Uh, it's, it's harder remotely than being in the room, I'll tell you that, uh, so that you can then get your story anchored uh, into the context where it needs to be. Hmm. Most storytellers I know tend to have a, a number of go-to stories that they'll access when they're, particularly if they're with a, a new group, if you have one, is it possible you could share it with us? And then what I'd like to do with it is maybe is dissect it a little bit afterwards, just to share with people the, the, the structure of stories. Because, <clears throat> again, it's one of the things I find is that people, when you talk to about storytelling, it's, it's almost like there's a mystique with it. They're not quite sure where to go, right? right? Or, 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 or the appropriate type of story in a corporate environment versus what they might be used to, you know, with their mates in a pub. Right, so that's, that's great, Paul. And there, when, I, when I analyze stories or when I teach stories, I mean, there are two types that I really think are important uh, for sales leaders. So one is metaphor or analogies, sometimes it's said, which is the way of saying, well, this thing that you're try we're trying to explain is rather intangible. Let me explain it in the context of something else, sport, music, history, something else. And then now do you see? So that's, that's sort of a simple metaphor. We all do it to some extent. I mean, metaphor is part of language. Um, and the other is, is customer stories, okay? So let me tell you about a customer story and a similar problem, here's how they solve it. So, so let's start with, with metaphor. So one of my, as you say, go-to stories is, um, I went to, went to the Rio Olympics. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of the Olympics, love to go, it's great. Um, and I got tickets for the four by 100 meter final. I got, got quite close and um, now in that, in, that, in that event in Rio, it turned out that the silver medal was won by the Japanese. It's like, what? The Japanese? I mean, name, name a famous Japanese runner. I mean, they didn't appear in any of the, of the sprint, you know, the regular finals, but they got a silver medal. 
in the relay. So why was that? Well, because they focused on the interchange. They focused on the handover of the baton. They knew they weren't the fastest runners. They were never going to beat the Jamaicans or the Brits or the Germans or the other fancy teams. But they practiced a lot and had special uh, techniques for uh, running a relay. And they knew that it was very different skill. You don't start in blocks. You don't end at the tape. You have to use your arms differently. And typical relay teams, they get the four fastest runners and stick them together and say, you guys, that'll be fine. And it turns out that's not how you get to, to, to get the silver medal. And so, so I tell this story. Uh, by the way, that's about 90 seconds, you know this. Um, because that's often how we think about business processes. I want to have the best business process for lead generation, and the best business process for order entry, and the best business process for this piece, and so on. And I want to have this best piece. And that's not the best way. That's not how you're successful. But the interchange between the different processes. So how is the lead converted into an order? It's that interchange. How is the order converted into a service contract? Um, and a lot of times in, in both businesses, the, the baton is dropped. Um, and so the best evaluation of a, uh, of a business process is the true end-to-end, -end, not the individual components which are best. So that's a, a simple love, way. Love that. Yeah. No, it's, it's fantastic. And, and there's a couple of things that I've taken away from. One is the idea of it being in 90 seconds. Um, that's something I would never have had a sort of a time frame on a story as a, I'm, as a rule. I'm sure you break the well, rule. It's a guideline. Um, yes. A lot of it depends on how good you are actually at storytelling. Um, if, yeah. you, if, if, you, if, you're not, if you don't have a commanding voice or you're not very confident, you have less, quite yeah. frankly. Um, yeah. And if you're in a big, a big auditorium and you've got music and you've got stage presence, then you've got, you know, like a sure. politician might have, then you have longer. But that, that's, that's my uh, 90 seconds yeah. is, is my approximate uh, yeah. guideline. And practice, I think sometimes people will have a story in their head, but they don't actually try to express it. In, in, and rehearse it out, and then they kind of fall over themselves and get stuck. The other thing I took away from that as well, as you were talking about the business processes, I was in my head relating it to sales process straight away, because, and, and it's, uh, by the way, I'm going to steal that story. It's all right. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm asking for permission to steal it, but it's so good because... Wait, 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 wait go ahead with that, Paul, though. Unfortunately, this thing about stories, you can't steal it in the same way because it's not personal to you. Correct. So you Correct. can't say, you know what? I went to Rio. And, here's, I, and I start Correct. this story with a, with a picture yeah. on my phone camera and a ticket. So look, yeah. and that's how I introduce yeah. it. So stories, yeah. although you can copy, uh, they're better if you copy and then can personalize it in some way. Yes. Uh, and I found that, uh, I remember David Sandler telling a story about going to the dentist as a child and the fear he felt and how the dentist uh, kind of calmed him down. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm not going to tell the same story exactly like he, because that's his experience. But I've been to the dentist. I've had similar experiences. And so there's always that level of yeah. what does it feel like when you hear the story? And to me, like when you talked about that is, is, is often people will talk about sales process in terms of, okay, now we're going to focus on identifying the prospects reasons for doing business. Then next we're going to talk about uh, uncovering budget. Then we want to find out about uh, how they'll make decisions. Well, in that, there's a transition. Yep. And the transition is where a lot of, where, where there's a breakdown often. People right. fumble that and there's a leakage. And your story, to me, really speaks to that, that says that, yeah, you, you, you're going to train hard to, to be fast. But if the handover isn't right. And what's interesting, Paul, is actually, um, so the part of SAP I work with is, is supply chain. Um, mm. So I tell the story as a buying cycle which is uh, how you go out and research suppliers, and then you create an RFQ, and then you uh, create an order, and then you create a contract, and, then, and you receive an invoice. And so although, although and so the end-to-end -end story, is, it works completely in a different business process. So that's why it's a good, robust story, because uh, I don't normally tell it the way I just told you as a sales process. I normally tell it as a supply chain process. So that's why it's a, it's a good story, because it has, it has this multitude way it can be used. Is that where you're talking about in terms of the buyer's journey or sorry, you're on the other side. You're I'm on, on the other side. Chain. Yeah, so I'm supply chain side. So what do we do on yeah. supply chain? Well, you know, we, we uh, create purchase orders, we receive goods, we receive invoices, and we pay customers, uh, pay suppliers. Right? Yeah. yeah, interesting. And, and the, your workshop, The Art of Explanation, I, I guess that's just an, an, another term for storytelling. Yeah, so this, I, the idea of, uh, so in sales, we, we sometimes we get confused between, you know, are we selling something or explaining something? And I, I believe they're not the same discipline. In fact, there's a great book on this it's called The Art of Explanation. I just copied the title from that. And sometimes in, in sales, we just want to explain. Um, and before we get into selling, uh, and, and it's, sometimes it's hard for us to, 
to disassociate those two disciplines, but I believe they are different skills. Um, and you should approach a presentation or a meeting with a slightly different view, which is in the first 10 minutes, I'm just going to explain about what this is about. And I'm not going to tell you how great our stuff is or how, how they need it. I'm just going to get some ideas out there. And then we've got some, got some, some, some um, uh, agreement on how this is going to work. Then we can move forward. So I, I did one recently on supply chain financing. Okay, it's quite an arcane concept. And I need to explain what it is first before I say how we can solve the problem. Uh, if I try right. to intermingle those, it doesn't always work. It can work sometimes, but, but sometimes you just need to explain something. Um, and that's also true in internal meetings. I have to explain how to, I don't know, use this piece of technology or something. It's a, it's a different discipline than just um, you know, persuasion. So I think if you, if you were to have two books, one would say the art of persuasion, one would say the art of explanation. I think they're not the same, the same thing. And how much of that, when you talk about explaining something, is really about context setting? So it can be. So th 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 I think that's a good observation, is that a lot of times you know, an explanation works well by saying, well, it's kind of like something you already know. Um, so mm. although you don't know this, you, you do know how to do this. Um, so you, you, you tell people, um, you, know, you can see this in the earliest days uh, of computers, right? You try to make things look like something they knew. Uh, so when you open a, and this goes back, even now, you know, the old versions of Windows had things like a file folder, like a physical file folder to say, hey, here's what a file is. It's kind of like a, you know, the old file folder. And here's what a save is. It's like a you know, three and a half inch floppy. And now what's interesting is now those icons have become artifacts, uh, even though no, no, we say the word file, no one thinks of a file folder anymore. Right? They think of electronic file. Uh, but we still, Windows, we still has that icon. And so that's a, a simple explanation uh, has actually outlived. It's always become like a, like a cliche now because it doesn't actually relate to the original object. Yeah, it's like dialing somebody's number. Exactly right, yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't dial anymore. Yeah. The, you know, the carryovers, and I think that maybe that speaks to as humans how we, when we, when we understand something, how we, how we need to hold on to that and then add to it is what you're saying is. Or, or yeah, I, that's why stories that relate to, um, you know, some of them are very, very old. Uh, so, you know, when, when we have children and we want to tell them, hey, it's good, you should tell the truth, you can beat them around the head and say you should tell the truth. Or you can say, let me tell you about a little boy. And he was out looking after his sheep one day. And he used to cry, wolf, wolf. And then the villagers came, and he would laugh at them because there was no wolf. But then guess what? One day, there was a wolf. And we all know this story. Um, and we probably told it to our kids. And we probably had it told to us. Um, and it's how it's one of the ways that we learn uh, to tell the truth. And it's a simple story. Is the story true? No, not really. Was there a boy and a wolf? No, not really. But Aesop wrote it down uh, 400 BC. And what's interesting is this idea uh, is not unique to, to Western culture and, and Aesop's fable. I was chatting to an Indian colleague, and, and I said, look at the, the fables of Panchantantra. And it's a very sort of similar idea to Aesop's fable, but in, in old Indian culture, it's about, about a, a thousand AD, I think. Uh, and the same story appears, and also appears in ancient China. Uh, slightly different. It's done with a, with a concubine and a king, but same idea. If you keep telling uh, falsehoods, eventually people won't believe you when it's really true. Um, so this idea of storytelling as a way to impart deep truths is the term I use. Um, mm. You learn this from pe preachers and politicians are the, are the classic examples of this. So they stand up. They have no slides, right? Preachers and politicians, they get you with the power of their voice and the power of their stories. Uh, and they're imparting typically deep truths about eternal life or about what they believe or uh, and you know we listen because of the of the uh, the stories they tell um and you know if you were to go to a church and the guy says well the sermon on the mount there are three main points let me put them on the slide here no that's not how that's not how preachers work for sure and i think that's something where people get bogged down in storytelling they they confuse the truth with truth the truth of a story. It doesn't have to be technically true, but people well, often... And, and as you can see, the, the story of the boy who cries wolf, the, the question, is it true, isn't really even a question that actually makes any sense. When Jesus yeah. told the story of the Good Samaritan, I mean, was there actually a Good Samaritan? I mean, it doesn't... I mean, the, the truth is, you know, we need to be merciful to people that, that are least expected. Um, and you know, I think it's really important that, that we understand, you said, the difference between the truth of capital T and... and now, I'm not saying we have to lie about customer stories. No, you rapidly get into trouble if you do that. Um, but mm. this idea that metaphor allows you to, to uh, explore other, other um, 
points of reference without having to say, yeah, but is that actually true? Um, mm. Now, mm. If, if, if it's, as, as you're telling a story, as, as I did go to Rio, and I, I did have a picture of that, and I it was there, I did see it, and they did get the silver medal, and you can check that all out. So you couldn't obviously tell that story if it wasn't true. Um, but th there's a whole variety of other types of stories where the, the, the truth or falsity of them is not really the issue. And like the, mm. you know, the, the boy who cries wolf is an example. Mm. But you could then with that, I'm just thinking about the Rio story, I could say to somebody, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he was telling me this story where he, he had been to Rio. Yep. And, and, and you can relate somebody you else's can do, story. Yes, you can do that. But it's still not as powerful as, as when I tell it, because sure. I was there. Yeah. Um, so the other thing is, is, Paul, now you've had this idea that uh, the, the whole uh, is, is more powerful than the individual sum of the parts, is to start looking for those in other places. I'll give you two other examples of how you could, might tell this story. So um, I was out walking around in my house recently, and I saw a, a wall, a brick wall that had, had fallen. Uh, and I noticed very carefully, when I studied the wall, that it, it had failed along the mortar, not the bricks. In fact, I was, I thought, oh, I know, this would be a good story. So I took a picture of my phone. Um, and yes, walls fail, not because of the bricks, because of the mortar. Uh, and right now you're thinking, oh, I see. So business processes fail at the edges between them. Yeah, so the bricks are fine, but it's the mortar you need to focus on. So that's an example of it's the same truth, but it's told through a different mechanism. And so that's an idea of, you can see these stories everywhere once you know what to look for. That was just me out doing my, my lockdown walks and seeing an old wall mm. near my house. Um, and one other example of this, uh, uh, I was uh, reading an article in The Times uh, by uh, Matthew Syed, red author, and he was talking about a rocket that came up in the 1970s called the Europa rocket. I thought, I've never heard of that. Uh, I'm a bit of a space buff, or used to be as a kid. Um, and he explained that actually it was, it was not successful, and here's why. So the bottom part was, was by, by the Brits, the second stage was made by the Germans. The top part was made by the French. The electronics was made by the Italians. Uh, the payload was Belgian and Dutch, and it was all launched in Australia. It's like, and how well did it work? It didn't work at all. It blew up every time. Uh, and you think, oh, now I see he's talking about the same thing, which is if you construct things from lots of different pieces and don't test them all together, you know what? It doesn't work. The Saturn V worked every single time. 14 launches, 14 successful uh, missions. Um, yeah, sure. So, again, same story. And one last thing on that is, having heard this story, I mean, it starts off by, I told it by saying, I read this in the Times this week. That's a good start, because, you know, it, it shows that I'm you current, that's good. But then I went back to it and thought, you know what? When I was a kid, um, uh, we used to have these, these cards that came in tea, like PG Tips, I think it was. Uh, and Americans have cigarette cards, same idea. And you got 50 of them, and you could stick them in a book. Um, anyway, there was a series in 1972 um, called The Race Into Space. And I had this as a boy. And I went back and asked my mother, do you still have those? She said, oh, yeah, we kept all your old stuff. And I went through them. Uh, and there it was, the Europa rocket. And it was, I, yeah, but I, you know, next to the, next to the Saturn V. And it was like, because at the time it was new, it was going to work. And, and it, it didn't. And so, so now I, I got that old book, that old Race Into Space tea cards. And I use that. If you look, I don't frame with me now. But I actually use that to, to show uh, this story. Uh, and again, now it has the personal element. So even more personal than... I read this in the paper this morning, is when I was a little boy, we used to collect tea cards. Let me tell you about the race into space and the Europa, off we go. And so now that's, and also there's an artifact to hold up to a camera, uh, which is also particularly good. Uh, so, and it has that, this was mine, I did this. Uh, so that's another way of taking, so now we've said, okay, I, the story, the truth, as you said, that I want to impart is that the, the, the sum is greater than the individual parts, the Rio story, but you can tell it in this way as well, and now I've linked it back to something that's personal, I have this tea card. And that's an example of how to construct a story, and that's another one of my, my go-to ones now. Going back to the, where you talked about the, mit uh, the, the mortar, I should say, between the, the blocks, and when you saw that, there was an immediate connection between a common story you tell about the interface between process steps, mm -hmm. for example, yep. being important. Um, and, and also, somebody who is conscious of, aware of the power of a visual metaphor like that. And um, so that kind of leads me to wonder, if, if, if somebody's not looking for it, if somebody's not aware of the power, you're going to miss those. They're everywhere, but you miss them. Because what struck me when you were telling that was also was that if you wanted to make the point about, you're making the point about how the interface is really important, absolutely. But let's say on another day you wanted to make 
the the importance uh, the point about the importance of the, the the process blocks themselves that struck me as you were telling it because certainly here in Ireland there's a, in a certain part of the country there was a a block maker was using ingredients from a quarry that had a lot of mica in it now literally the buildings are crumbling apart okay. Okay. not the interface but the blocks themselves so equally depending yes. on what point you want to make and is that and, and, and I guess my question for you is it do you start with the points that you want to communicate first the messages you want to communicate then look for the stories or do you hear a story and then go oh that would make a great point so I think either approach is good. Now you've told this, Paul, I think it's interesting, right? Because actually the message, that you, the truth that you want to part is almost the reverse of what I was trying to impart. And that's interesting, right? So but the idea of look at, brick, look at brick making and you're exactly correct. I like, I like the story already, which is it looks okay on the surface, but it turns out that something fundamentally is incorrect in the uh, ingredients of that particular brick. And it leads to problems years later. Um, straight away, you can think of, well, let me tell you, Mr. Customer, that could be you. Yeah. Right. Things look OK at the start. And for the yeah. first years, it's all fine. But you know what? A few years down the line, it'll all crumble away. So yeah. straight away, you have a nice story. And I'll leave it with you because I don't know the detail. I suppose I could Google them. But, you know, it's your story now uh, and the idea that and you can. So I, I call this points of congruence, which is the stories are more powerful. If you can tell, you know, there are several reasons uh, why the why the better works. So you've got the, the Rio example. So, you know, one is you know, this idea of don't drop the baton. That's that's one thing. Second thing is you have to train, you have to understand, you know, this different skill set. Then you have to work with your teammates. That's another example, right? So there are there are several points of congruence that you can use. And so if you can think of more ways, so so I've already extended your idea, which is that it wasn't initially evident on the surface of the brick, right? The problems yeah. were deep down in the formula that was used, um, and then you know and you know so so you can uh, go on. And if you want to be add, add more emotion to it. Then Google it and find out, well, what building did fall down? Yeah. Crikey, if someone was yeah. hurt and it was a school, let's mm. tell that story. And now mm. you've actually taken the story and you've, you've laid in more emotion to it. Now it's not yeah. just a brick maker. Now it's children were killed. Yeah. Um, and so the story has additional resonance to the listener. Mm. And they mm. anchor it in the emotions that they feel when you tell the story. And because you say, wow, this is really important. Mm. And now when you do the pivot, or as I say, the aha moment into, well, let's talk about sales processes. They, the emotion that they felt when you heard, told the story about these children getting hurt in the, in the accident now carries across into, wow, what Paul says next must be really important. I better pay attention. So that's why uh, yeah. adding additional uh, emotion is also powerful in storytelling. Yeah. And that, that also then gets me thinking about an important element that people need to think about is what point do I want to make with this? Mm -hmm. what, 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 what do I want to bring about? Because, for example, I see a, a universality in that story because it's the impact. And you mentioned it about, say, a building crumbling down. But the other one is, and, and this, is, this, is, this is the truth as well, is that, as you said, it's not evident until years later when nobody's around and nobody wants to take responsibility for That's fixing it. That's also right? true. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what scares people the most is like, who's, who's going to be left? Right, the builder's long gone, baby. he's been paid, he's happy, right? Yeah. Uh, and now somebody else is in charge. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. A, a good good observation. Yeah. Talk to me then about the link between storytelling and personal branding. I know you're a fan of personal branding and it's something I know was talked about a lot in corporate circles. Certainly a few years ago, it was a big thing. I don't know how relevant it is. Yeah, so... Topical. I mean, personal brand is a bit of a fancy name. Sure, I like to wear the hat. In fact, my, if you look at my Twitter handle, Paul, um, it says uh, uh, likes hats and hates PowerPoint. Uh, likes so hats and? Hates PowerPoint. Um, okay, love it. <laughs> so, uh, so part of it is, uh, you know, I mean, I work for a very successful company. I, you know, I love SAP. You know, I'm very proud to work here. Um, so obviously, you know, I, I use you know, my own company's branding uh, because you know, I'm an employee. But at the same time, there's 100,000 of us. Um, so, you know, how can uh, I stand out to some extent? But it's more important on things like social media, um, you know, and, and, and stories or metaphors, they work well on social media. Uh, and other people, I mean, everyone knows this because you see, you see things like, I don't know, while sale, why sales processes like Apple picking? I don't know, oh, that, that sounds interesting. I just made that up. And it's like, okay, well, I better, I better click on that title. So, so people are naturally, uh, curious uh, on this analogy that you're about to, to make. Uh, and of course, it's an excuse to have a nice picture as well. 
Um, so, you know, these are ways that you can cut through stuff on social media. Um, and I, I, I find that, you know, people you know, like those things. Plus, you're teaching them something that they didn't know. Um, so we had this thing in um, a couple of years ago where there were two different uh, uh, space probes, you know, and one went into orbit around a satellite and one just did a flyby. And there were, there were reasons why the mission the designers did it that way. But I pointed out that think about how you interact with your customers, right? Are you really in orbit around them or are you just doing a flyby? Um, and so just simple. And that was a current news story. It's like a nice picture of some, some satellite or something. Um, but again, it didn't, didn't go too far. But the idea was, oh, OK, yeah, think about that, right? Am I really orbiting my customers or am I more of the flyby kind of mission? And so, uh, you know, simple idea. And it got quite, I mean, uh, it, it got some linkage because it, it had a current idea. And, and social media, by the way, if you can use sort of current hashtags, then you tend to get more eyeballs. And so that, because you, you lose hashtags that are in, in the, um, uh, in the in the zeitgeist at the time, mm. then you get you get more attention. So there is that as well. Um, mm. So with that, then in terms of personal branding and use, maybe that the hat as a, as a as a visual element of that, what story do you think then you're telling about yourself? Well, I mean, I, I work in sales, right? So fundamentally, it's not really about me. Um, it's about you know how I can help my company um, sell. Uh, how I can help my company's uh, customers and so on. So, so I'm not an entertainer uh, and storytellers, unless unless you truly are a stand-up comedian, all right, or a you know orchestra you know, violinist, then that's different. Um, but you and I, we work in sales, as many people who are on the podcast do. Um, so, you know, we're not we're not after dinner speakers, um, and so our stories need to have you know a truth, um, a point that they should be told. Um, Otherwise, we're providing entertainment, and that's great, but actually there's better people around us than us to do that. Um, mm. So our stories need to be anchored in what, what is the truth I want this, this listener to, to leave uh, thinking about um, or, or to interpret something in a different way. Um, so when, when thinking about stories, you ask about which comes first, uh, the truth or the, or the picture. And some, I mean, I, I, do, I do both. And so sometimes I have to put myself into so we had an event I'm in, here in the city of London at the moment. And we had an event a couple of years ago uh, at Glaziers Hall. It's one of the old, um, you know, city of city of London uh, guilds, guilds uh, for the glaziers, right? People make stained glass. Uh, and so I, I called up the uh, the people in charge of the hall, and I said, I'd like to you know, talk to you a bit about stained glass. It's like, okay, well, we don't, don't know we have this. Because it's not supposed to be an events person, so they found somebody in the guild of guild glassmakers, and I had a conversation. I was trying to understand a bit about glassmaking, so I could then, when we had the event. I could start off by saying, well, here we are in Glassmakers Hall, and let me tell you about glassmaking. And so straight away, well, okay, well, that's interesting. And so I had a couple of things about you add impurities to glass to get the color. Well, that's interesting. Okay, so I talked about how sometimes you have to add something a little different to get, the, to get, the, to get something to be beautiful. And that was the first point of, point of congruence. And the second was how glassmakers were a guild, and guilds share best practices. That's one of the things that they do, right? They get together, if you're a guild of whoever you are, and you, you share best practices. Another observation I made about how important it was. And the third one, I, I can't recall. Um, mm. And the other thing was, prior to the event, I, I didn't know we were going to have any glass. So I, I actually got, got the museum a piece of stained glass so I could hold it up. And they were a bit, this is, again, this is like an event person. They're not used to these kind of requests. Uh, but they, they, they contacted the guild and said, oh, yeah, we've got a couple of pieces. Be very careful with them because they're like 500 years old. Okay. And, then, and so I was able to hold it up and say, okay, let me talk about stained glass. And so, so that was a way to introduce an event that for most people, it was just like, oh, here's another place in London we go to. It could have been a you know, high up ballroom for all they cared. And now, even now, I think it's anchored. Oh, yeah, we were at that glassmaker place. I remember that now. And so you've, 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 you've put a bit of context, a bit of anchor, and people have learned something. And so that's an example of where I, I use the idea of location. I need to say something about stained glass. Uh, and then once I had that, hey, stained glass are on. I've got a nice, a nice logo. It's a nice picture to put on blogs and so on. So, um, so, so if you're running an event, think a bit about, about the location. Try and get something out of that is, 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 a, is a simple tip. Yeah. As you're telling the story, I'm kind of thinking through my head the process you are going through as somebody who's actively looking for stories because yep. you understand it. And it's as you look at the building, every building has a story. Yep. 
right? Either in terms of what was there beforehand, in terms of the construction of the building, or something that happened in the. Well, building. we're blessed. We're blessed in in the UK and and Europe, uh, Europe generally, because we have lots of old stuff. I agree. Mm. If you're in the Cincinnati Hyatt Ballroom, it is a little more challenging um, to come up with. That's but don't sure. worry, there are, there are other stories that you can tell about location, right? So yeah. um, it, it doesn't have to be about the building itself. Yeah. But even in some of those hotels, there's often something, there's often a picture on a wall yeah. or there's a chandelier that came from another hotel that was, there's often something. Yeah, true, you, but you, you it's difficult to know ahead of time. So that's, that's uh, you can be lucky. Um, so sometimes you can luck out with stories because something happened, um, you know, I know a fire alarm went off like 10 minutes before you started, you could tell, that, let's, let's, let's talk about that. So you, you, can, you can be lucky, um, but sometimes you need to do your research. In that example, I thought, you know what, I need to do my research here. Uh, mm. So you have to dig things out. Yeah. yeah. So far, we talked about stories in the context a lot. It, it tends to be, certainly as we've spoken about it, talking to customers a way to simplify something that's quite complex often mm -hmm. and enable them to understand it, but also not memorize it, but remember it. Yeah, remember it, yeah. In the context of sales leadership, where you have a sales leader in an organization who wants to persuade or influence a group of sellers, um, how, how does storytelling work there? Have you any examples of how they can use it to inspire or to impart lessons and morals. Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, we all, I mean, salespeople particularly, you know, get around a bar, blimey, you hear a lot of stories, that's for sure. Um, but I think people need to hear more than what we typically call war stories. I think we need a little bit more structure. So there's really so two things that you're trying to, to get across. So one is, hey, I made mistakes too. Right? That's actually quite an important thing to get across, especially if you're quite senior in organization, maybe you've got a bunch of rookies. Uh, and, you know, you, you may be a bit older, you may be successful, you go to Hawaii every year. You know, people think, wow, this guy's like, he's, he's, he's great, right? He's so good, his slides are good, his stories are great. But sometimes you can get it down to, you know, let me tell you how I screwed up three times my first year. Um, and so you get that, oh, okay, well, if I make those mistakes too, I can still be successful here. Uh, or I'm not going to get fired. Um, so this idea that, you know, empathy in, uh, I screwed up too, is actually quite powerful. Um, and so people, people relate to that. But at the same time, you know, they don't want to hear stories of your, of your failures because, you know, they have plenty of those themselves. <laughs> so, they, they, so you need to have a mixture of aspirational ones and empathetic ones. Um, mm. And I think salespeople are uh, generally, my observations, are pretty good at telling stories about themselves. Um, so it, it's, it's better, I think, to tell stories about other people you've worked with than about yourself. Um, we, uh, salespeople can be quite... Uh, narcissistic, let's face it. Um, and so telling stories about others they've worked with, I think is actually more powerful than any. Here's another deal I closed, that was so awesome. Yeah, okay. Um, I think that yeah. Was a, a, yeah. Yeah. So it seems to me that if, if you've got a, here's how I screwed up story, that's a good one to have. If it's gonna be, here's how wonderful it was, maybe to tell that as a third party story, somebody you worked with who was wonderful, so it doesn't sound like you're bragging. Um, yeah. And then, 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 as always with, with sales, is let, let me draw three, three points out from that, right? So here, here notice when I said this, it tends to be the same kind of things, you know, preparation or teamwork or whatever it is, right? So you, you draw those out. The other, the other thing I always like to say is um, in any kind of leadership role or coaching role, it, it's worth having a discussion about a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, um, especially if you're dealing with people in perhaps in mid-career. And, you know, they think they know how to be successful because they are successful to some extent themselves, and they're, they're set in their ways. And we, we all get set in our ways. Um, but this is the idea of this uh, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. So it takes something like, you know, learn, design to play the violin. Well, okay, you have, to, you have to buy a violin. You've got to go get lessons, right? You've got to practice, right? You've got to decide you want to play the violin. It's not just suddenly wake up and be a violin player, right? We all learn to drive. And we learn to drive by taking the lessons and doing the test and getting an instructor and you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's true with, with how you improve uh, your career uh, as, a, as a sales leader or, or as a sales executive is you have to make a decision that it's something you want to get better at. And it, once you've made that, there are steps that you can go through that allow you to, to be successful, um, whether that's being a better closer, a better negotiator, or a better storyteller. And so this idea of fixed mindset versus growth mindset, which is... And you hear it, you know, I, I get annoyed when people say, I don't have a head, to head for figures. It's like, what do you mean you don't have a head for figures, right? Um, you, 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 that's an example of a fixed mindset, which is, oh, I'm not good with languages. Well, you know what? 
you can learn. My, my father learned German at the age of 70, right? And so you can decide that you want to do something. That's, I think that's important in any kind of coaching role is that you, 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 which is why this idea of, let me tell you another story about how awesome I was, right? You create a barrier between your success and where they are now. And you don't want a barrier, here's a metaphor, you want a staircase, right? So you want to show, Ooh. and here's the steps that you do uh, to get to this next level. Uh, and you know, whatever it is in sales, I, mean, I don't, I'm not a sales trainer myself, but you know, these are the things that you might, might try, do this, learn this, read this, attend this class, you know, get feedback, be in a coaching session, whatever it is, and these are the steps that you, you use. Um, so you don't want to create a, a barrier or create a distance, you want to show a, a path, a staircase. When you said that example there about somebody saying, I, I don't have a head for figures, and you presented it as somebody who has a fixed mindset, is, it a, is that another way of saying, is that another way of saying uh, we're telling ourselves stories? That, yeah, that, that, there's, that there's things. yeah, we tell ourselves stories, but also society tells us stories as well, right? So society tells us, you hear this a lot in the media, um, you know, oh, I, I'm not, I don't have a head for figures, and that seems to be an okay thing. Um, whereas mm. no one would say, oh, you're not very good at reading. Like, no one would say that. So in society, it seemed to be acceptable to be numerically illiterate, but not actually, you know, linguistically illiterate. And so that's that sort of society teaches us. And we adopt society's norms about what's okay and what's not okay. So that's, that's, that's one thing that, that comes into play as well. Uh, and it gives us an excuse to, you know, not, not, not to work on ourselves, but to, um, you know, do something else that day, right? Oh, I, I don't yeah. fancy going to violin class tonight. I'm going to watch the football instead. Well, yeah, that's right. That's why you can't play the violin, right? So, you know, the, yeah. Yeah, or my favorite is, uh, I'm not very good with names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. You, then you ask them, what's your favorite footballer? They know that name. What's your favorite yeah. pop star? They know that name. <laughs> yeah, plus, if you, there are books in the library that say, improve your memory. There, there, are, there are growth mindset ways to do this. Uh, and you know, people who have good memories, a lot of them have learned these techniques. Uh, they didn't, they didn't yeah. come out of the womb suddenly having been being brilliant at the violin or being able to speak three languages. So. Yeah. I think that was, a, that was an old trope, you can't teach an, an old dog new tricks, that has been certainly from a, a physio psychological, physiological perspective has been debunked a long time ago that, that we don't, that we continue. Uh, so we actually tried this with our old, we actually tried this with our old dog. Uh, so we, we have an old dog uh, and we said, okay, let's, let's try this out. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I mean, hey, you know what? Sometimes with a metaphor, it's good to actually sort of unpack the metaphor and go back to the original uh, meaning yeah. of it. It's like, well, is that actually a thing? And so yeah. I have to say, with mixed success. So, um, but again, sometimes it's, it's um, you know, fun to take a metaphor and actually go back to it, or cliche, really, and actually go back to it uh, and revisit it. Um, this example, I have to say, uh, with our dog, yeah, it's, it's pretty much you couldn't, couldn't teach her a new trick. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully with salespeople, it, uh, it doesn't, it, uh, yeah. we can disprove and, that one. And there's another factor as well. I have a greyhound, and God love her, she's as thick as two short planks. And <laughs> she's stupid. She really is. And I don't know, because I see this Jack Russell, no problem. Jack Russell semi-intelligent. So I do think there's an element in stories that people have to, have to get them as well. Um, but yeah, I, people, people like animal stories. If people, I mean, so... Yeah. I, so oftentimes, yeah, people like to relate to, to people personally. A lot of people, for, for a reason, don't feel comfortable talking about their family or their whatever. Talk about your pets. Everyone, everyone can relate to pets. Um, so mm. Even if you're not a dog person, I like to hear dog stories. So mm. um, when, when starting a presentation, you know, which you asked me about, tell me better about your upbringing, try to find ways to quickly come across as, like, uh, as a, someone people want to get to know, spend some time with. Because if you're doing a presentation, a lot of times in sales, we are doing presentations. You know, well, I should, I can't, 20 minutes with this guy, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to be able to show I can, I like him. Um, and so this can be cheesy, but the, the stories allow, is, you allow you to bond with people without being cheesy. Um, and because, hey, well, that's interesting. It not, he talked about you know, woodworking or something. Oh, wow. And people just, just they give a different way of, of looking at you. So, so a, a story or an, an analogy where you're teaching somebody is you're also teaching them about yourself. Uh, about your values, about your hobbies, about your history, or whatever it is. And that's, uh, yeah, people like mm. that. Yeah, I'm trying desperately to remember the name of the current UK education minister, or education secretary, I think. Right, it was Gavin Williamson, they replaced him with somebody else. Um, yeah, I can't think it, but, but imagine now that's your job, you've got that job, and you can 
make one subject mandatory on the secondary school curriculum, what would that be? Um, well, that's interesting. I, my, my, my daughter's a teacher, actually, teaches physics. Um, and you know, she always talks about there's never enough time to do a lot of things. Um, and there's a whole reason why that's the case. I think that rather than say everybody needs to should learn, I know, music or French or, or other, other things, I think a, a ways to allow people to spend more time on things that they're interested in or things they want to learn more about. Um, and so at school, people naturally uh, have an interest in certain areas. Um, and so finding time to, to, to stimulate them. Uh, and one, one of the problems, I'm going to go into sort of educational concerns here, but in the UK, uh, maybe just a British thing, um, we specialize very early. Um, mm. And so I did mathematics from the age of 16 till, till the end of university. Never, never saw another subject in my, in my whole educational career after that. Mm. And it's only when I sort of became an adult, I actually missed out on things like English literature um, and, or music. Uh, and I don't really know much about them at all. Um, yeah. And that's a sort of a, and the Americans have this much better with their liberal arts concept. Um, yeah. let's, let's learn lots of stuff, and then when you're 20 and you actually, you can figure out what you want to do then, rather than when you're yeah. 15, which is how we do it. Yeah, yeah. We have something, we're, we're kind of halfway between it. We have, uh, we would typically do six, maybe seven subjects for our, our A-levels equivalent, but there'd be kind of AS-level equivalent in terms of how much you go into them, but it's just broader, which I do think is a good thing. I think the, the A-levels where you focus in on one or two subjects is, is too, it's, it's not, specialising not the problem, it's doing it so young, I think. Is yeah, and I think, um, obviously you can't counteract your own schooling, it's a bit late for that, and I'm not the education secretary, I can't solve that one either. But individually, for sales leaders, do more reading. I think that's a, a whether, whether it's, uh, you know, newspapers like the, the Economist or, you know, books. And I don't mean, mean you know, 101 top sales tips, right? Mm. No, no, no. I mean, real reading of, uh, you know, history or classics or philosophy or, or something. Um, and I, I certainly find that you, you always find new things. I have, I have I'm, a, I'm an old-fashioned book. I have, I have you know, notebooks full of quotes and story, potential stories or things to follow mm. up on. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is, you know, just different ways of, of looking at things. But also, it's, it's something, oh, let, let, I, I can introduce that. Let's talk about the Thirty Years' War at my next, oh, wow, okay, well, that's the Protestants versus Catholics. Okay, let's, let's talk about that and, and, and how it was resolved with the Treaty of Westphalia. You know what, I wrote a blog on that. It's like, wow, that's kind of weird, right? Yeah, if you say that right, it's kind of interesting uh, how yes. Europe was constructed uh, based on the outcome of this dreadful war. Uh, and I think the, the idea was, I think it was uh, the difference between transactional data and, uh, and analytical data and how they've typically been two different camps and now it's all come together and we're all happy. Um, I think mm. that was the, how the blog went. Um, but that, that came out from reading a book about the Thirty Years' War. What business book have you read that has made uh, a real impact on you? Um, so I, the, I've been doing a lot of look about... I mean, there are a lot of good books about, about storytelling. I mean, um, so I, I'm not, I, there's, uh, there's The Art of Storytelling by Will Storr is pretty good. Um, there's this uh, Story Repository, another one that's good. Um, so I mean, there are a lot of them. And uh, so you can learn, I tend to focus on things like that um, rather than, um, I'm not a big fan of biographies, quite frankly. Uh, you know, let's, let's read Steve Jobs or something like that. So uh, I, they're, they're, there's a lot of them, uh, and I, you know, I, I, they, they uh, can be a bit. It's just my own personal thing, quite frankly. I'm, mm. I'm not a big fan of reading business biographies. Um, yeah. So, in, in, if you look at my, and I read a lot of books, most of my books are not business books that I read. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and that's fair. A lot, of, a lot of business books tend to say. That's why I often ask that there, is there is there one because a lot of them say the same thing. They might say it slightly differently, but you know, trying to find something that's different and unique can be difficult. Um, like, for example, the, 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 the how to win friends and influence people, there's nothing in that that's unique, except for me it made a huge impression because it was the first book I read on that at a time when I needed it. I think that's a good, yeah. that's a good point. A lot of books speak to us, not because of the book, but because of us. Exactly. Uh, and where we were in our career or in yeah. our lives, uh, you know, why it was you know, really uh, in, in, impactful or insightful to us. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I think so. So I said, well, I I, I read some uh, some Pushkin, uh, Eugene Origen, and I thought it was brilliant. But yeah. I wouldn't recommend that uh, because it just happened to be the person who, uh, where I was and, and how it was recommended, and, and you know, it, it was a 
translation and all sorts of other things mm -hmm. I was thinking about at the time. So a lot of times when book recommendations are more about yourself than the book, than the yeah, book. for sure. Two final questions before I let you go, James. One is, speaking of books, uh, if there's a book written about your life when you're gone, what would you like the title to be? Well, I, I, everyone tries to write a book. It's actually quite difficult. Uh, so uh, anyway, so I've, I've got a draft title, which is Campfire to Boardroom, uh, which is the idea that taking the disciplines that we all have learned as, you know, listening to stories in a, in a sort of hypothetical campfire situation uh, and how that can be translated to, you know, presenting to senior executives uh, with a similar technique. So that's, that's I've, mm. I wouldn't say I've got not, not got much further than the title, but that, that's, that was the idea. Um, and, good. Uh, you know, campfire to boardroom. Okay. If there's one written about you, or uh, let, let, let me change the question. If there's a statue erected in your honor, what would you like the base plate to read? Uh, that's, a, that's a good one, Paul. I mean, something around, uh, yeah, the storyteller story or, or, or um, being able to impart deep truths, I think something, uh, you know, using the story to impart deep truths, I think. Is something Exploring truth. Ones. How about that well, one? There you go. There you see. There you're you much better at like me. That. Exploring yeah. the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And last question. Uh, your, your, your home is burning down. Your family are safe. Your phone, your, your, your notebook is safe. Um, what one item, and you had time to run back in and grab one item in your home and save it, what would it be and why? Um, I, I don't have one of those. Not, that's not a bad thing. That says to me you're not a, a materialistic person. There's nothing there that you can't replace. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of things nowadays can be replaced easily. Sometimes people say photographs, but for most people, photographs are now are backed up in the cloud. You wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, you know, sometimes it might be a sentimental thing, but again, that's not always there either. So, uh, uh, so the, 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 once, once the family are safe and your, your, your notebook and your, that's, you're good. I have, yeah, I don't, nothing, nothing that, that leaps out to me, I don't think. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You're, you're, you're chock full of insight. I, I love your approach to storytelling. Uh, I can see why now when all those, and, and I only took a very small selection of the te testimonials on your LinkedIn page. I can see now why they're there. Uh, absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks, Paul. It's been great to speak to you. Beautiful morning, beautiful summer, my morning, babe. Nothing in the world.